Father in heaven, right now, we just thank you so much again for Sabbath afternoon. And Lord, we pray the lessons we learn, as simple as they might be, might be applicable to our lives. Take this message um, and God multiply it and feed us um, that we may grow closer to you and grow um, into your image more and more. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you very much. Thank you very much. You know, I like sharing this quotation. It's a quotation that uh, I, uh, I'm, I, you might have heard it before, but I shared it in different places. It's found in, uh, not in the Bible, it's found in one of uh, America's fastest growing restaurants, Pyology. Anybody here like Pyology or Blaze Pizza or anything like that? I love those. Make it, you know, do-it-yourself pizza. I don't know why it took forever to get those joints going. But uh, I love Pyology because when you go into Pyology, you'll see different quotes on the wall. You'll see some scripture verses. You'll see uh, inspirational quotes. One of my favorite inspirational quotes when I go into the Pyology, and it's the one here in, it's the one in Redlands. Actually, I haven't seen other places, but the one in Redlands. And uh, it just says this in the midst of all the other quotes. And when you get it, you get it. It says these words. The author, whoever they are, says this. I am more afraid of an army of sheep led by a lion than an army of lions led by a sheep. I am more afraid of an army of sheep led by a lion than an army of lions led by a sheep. Today we're going to be talking about some leadership lessons. I'm not any kind of leadership guru by any means whatsoever. I'm not any kind of John Maxwell. But I want to share with you some things that I feel God has shown me through experiences, through the scriptures, and uh, just overall the journey that I've had the last few years. And I want to share that with you. It's very interesting when you study out history, you can uh, take a good look at some of the greatest military commanders from Leonidas, who led the 300 Spartans along with Greeks at the Battle of Thermopylae, preventing the Persians from coming in uh, for a short period of time. You, you think of people like Hannibal, who took a, a, a group of uh, elephants and turned them into tanks to conquer his foes. You think about individuals like uh, Napoleon and George Washington and General MacArthur and uh, Alexander the Great. And when you think of leadership, many of these names come to mind. But it wasn't until just like I was going through Patriarchs and Prophets and I came across this amazing quotation about one of our favorite Bible heroes, David. Notice what Ellen White says right here about David. In his own realm, David's power had become very great. Now notice this. He commanded as few rulers in any age have been able to command. Notice this. The affections and allegiance of his people. I mean, this is extraordinary. This is Ellen White talking here under inspiration, under the Holy Spirit's, you know, guidance and navigation. And she says, look, David was able to command and uh, gather together the allegiance and affections of his people, probably more than most rulers had ever been able to do. Now that's leadership, amen? Notice this. He had honored God, and God was now honoring him. And so today we're going to be taking a good look at a few different lessons, simple lessons, but they're deep lessons about David's leadership style. David's leadership style. When you... um, Take a good look in the scriptures and you study out what it says in 1 Samuel and parts of 2 Samuel and 1 Chronicles leading into 2 Chronicles. You learn about the various phases of David's life. 
From the time that life was very quiet for David when he was a shepherd to the time where he was just um, thrown onto the, the, the world scene and he began to play a part in the direction of Israel to the part where he was a fugitive in the wilderness and uh, until he became king and on finally his deathbed. You know, I was in Israel last year. I was uh, for one of my classes. We had to take a Bible archaeology class. And one day I had eaten some food that just got me sick. I always take with me charcoal, garlic, and I think it's zinc or something else just to keep my immune system high. But for some reason, I got sick one day and I ended up missing one of the days of touring. The next day, I felt unusually better and I jumped back onto the tour with the rest of the uh, Master theological, masters of Theological Students and uh, study program. I'm trying to say that in so many words. And uh, we went to go see, this is very interesting, uh, the Dead Sea. Anybody ever been to the Dead Sea before? Now, you know what happens when you get into the Dead Sea? Anybody know? Kyle, you've been to the Dead Sea? Now, is it easy to swim in the Dead Sea? Yeah, you float, right, in the Dead Sea. It's easy to float, right? Because of the mineral content, your body naturally floats. But you know what you're not supposed to do when you get into the Dead Sea? Get water in your eyes. You know what's going to happen to you? You're going to be temporarily blinded. And you know what happened to me? I was temporarily blinded. And uh, I was just in the water. I was swimming with my friends. And I was like, this is great. And the tour guide had told us many times, he said, look, do not go underwater, do not go underwater, do not go underwater. And for some reason, you know when you start swimming and you just get caught up in everything that's going on? Sure enough, that's what happened to me. And I came out and I was like, ah! I couldn't see anything. All my friends are looking at me. They're like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I can't see. And I was just blinded. And I was like, trying not to make a big scene. I was rubbing my eyes. It was getting worse. And then after a few minutes, it finally dissipated. I was feeling better. And... Uh, the minerals in the Dead Sea are very rejuvenating. You know, you can buy products here, skin products that cost, probably cost $20, $30, $40, $50. And over there, probably $5 to $10. And it comes from all from the Dead Sea. And so when we were in the Dead Sea, we got out of the water. And then we were just having these mud baths during the time we are in the Dead Sea. And, uh, you know, and it was just a, a wonderful experience. But when we got out of the Dead Sea, we all jumped back into the bus and we began going down uh, the road. And I never forgot, I looked to the right and I saw this beautiful mountainous region there. It looked a little dry, there was a few shrubs there. And the tour guide, he gets onto the bus mic and he says, This is the wilderness of Judah. This is where David during his wilderness wanderings fled, where he hid with his 600 men, where he was a fugitive, and where he learned many different lessons about the goodness and the grace of God. Like it says in Psalms 18, to the Lord belongs escapes from death. It was in this wilderness that uh, trained him and prepped him for the later phase of life when he would become a king. And so we're going to take a good look at some of the lessons from David's wilderness wanderings that help us to understand what leadership looks like today. I really believe this with all my heart. There's not too much inspirational leadership anymore. I really feel that a lot of leaders, for whatever the reason, 
have some kind of dark secret in the past which eventually comes out and it really compromises their influences. And, and I maybe think that's just a testament to what the Bible says in the very middle of uh, the scriptures. Do you know what the very middle verse of the Bible is? It's found in Psalm 118 verse 8. And you know what it says? It's better to put your trust in the Lord than put your trust in princes, right? I mean, human leaders are going to fail us, right? They're human. But nonetheless, it can be very deflating and defeating when you're even looking within the church and wonder, what does inspirational leadership look like? What's the kind of leadership that really draws people, that gets people excited about spiritual things? When you look at the life of David, you will find several lessons that really made him inspirational. Uh, lessons that really just can help us understand how we can be a better influence and use social power for good. Can you say amen to that? So the first thing we're going to be taking a good look at, look, good look at is a few characteristics. The first characteristic is this. Winsome. David was winsome. Now I'm going to uh, expand that a little bit more. He was more than just winsome. He was inspirational. Let me ask you a question. Can anybody give me the definition of the word inspirational? Raise your hand. Yes. Able to motivate. Anybody else? When you think about inspirational, what word comes to your mind? What's the definition? Yes. Able to inspire, that's a classic Webster's dictionary definition, right? <laughs> and we can all thank Webster for that, right? Anybody else? When you think of inspiration, what comes to mind? Yes. Yes, the ability to move people to action, right? It's the catalyst that moves people from inactivity to a place of activity, right? So David was that kind of person. Well, how in the world was he able to become that kind of person? Because of his speech. Because of his what? In other words, what came out of his mouth was inspirational. It was something that was full of courage. It was something that was full of bravery during a time of great fear and uncertainty. Well, how else do we know this? Because when you study out the story, one of the greatest battles in David's life, you will find this. David, now get this, I'm about to say it in the best way I could. David is one of the best trash talkers of all of Scripture. When you take a good look at his battle with Goliath, I want you to see what the Bible says right here. And the context is, all of Israel is trembling. No one wants to make the first move. No one wants to take on Goliath. But notice what the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And David said to the Philistine, You come to me with the sword, with the spear, and with the javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, notice this. The Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistine to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly, notice this, he is saying this speech for the very purpose of the people of Israel, the soldiers of Israel. Then all this assembly shall know the Lord does not save with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our what? Now is that inspirational or what? Maybe when you heard it you're probably thinking that's so stupid. He's about to take on a 12 foot giant, right? And this young man is challenging him. Maybe you're there and you're just watching like what's going to happen next? But nonetheless David would speak with courage believing that the God of Israel was on his side. Let me ask you a question right now. 
When you study out the book of Acts in the Bible, it says the church multiplied greatly or the church increased greatly or a great number of people added to the church. Do you remember what those ingredients were? Anybody know what those ingredients were that God added to the church to multiply it? Okay, the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit fell and then a great multitude were added. But it says this periodically throughout the book of Acts. It's describing the ingredients of how the church grew. Raise your hand. I can't uh, hear. Yes. The gift of tongues, right? They were able to communicate. What else? Yes. They fellowship and broke bread. The Bible even says when the deacons were organized, the church grew as a result of that organization. But here's the thing. When you actually read the story of Barnabas coming to the church, you know what Barnabas' name is? You know what it means? Son of encouragement. The Bible actually says when he came to that area where the church was growing, the church was multiplied even more. Not because of a system, not because of a group of people, not because of a miracle, because of the encouraging words of one man. One man. Notice what Ellen White says right here. She says something amazing. Take the word of Christ as your assurance. Has he not invited you to come to him? Never allow yourself to talk in a hopeless, discouraged way. If you do, you will lose much by looking at appearances and complaining when difficulties and pressures come. You will give evidence of a sickly, enabled faith. Talk and act as if your faith was what? Woo! Let me ask you a question. Last time you talked about your faith, did you talk like that? Did you talk like that? Talk and act as if your faith was invincible. Let me ask you a question. Did David talk like that? Do you know when people would hear him talk? They became immediately impressed by him and the influence that God had in his life. How do you know this? Because when David slays Goliath, do you know what the Bible says next? He came to Saul and Saul says, whose son is this? And he says, I am the son of Jesse, your servant. And the Bible says, when David was finished speaking these words, Jonathan heard him. You know what he did? He took off his armor, took off his shield, took off his sword and gave it to him. Essentially implying, we're like brothers now. This is good stuff. I'm telling you, this was so attractive to the people who were in fear and uncertainty. And right now, what the world needs, what the church needs, is people who are willing to speak with inspiration. People who are willing to be courageous and bold. Can you say amen to that? That's exactly who David was, and that's why he became very influential. All right, this... isn't working right now. Number two. Oh, man. All right, let's see if we can fix this a little bit. Where's Arden? Anybody know Arden? I say this about Arden. He is the most neurotic person I know, but he is the best AV guy in the universe. And you also, too, dude. So, so. All right, very good. Very good. All right, number two. Not only was David winsome, David knew how to win battles. Well, how in the world did he know how to win battles? We're going to find out. Take your Bible and go to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, chapter 30. What happens in 1 Samuel, chapter 30? When David is in Ziglag, he comes back after a battle. And uh, Ziglag was born, uh, burned down. And the, the women and the children were taken captive. And the Bible says the men spoke of stoning him. 
And while they were ready just to take out their leader during this time of tragedy, during this time of depression and great sorrow and darkness, David does something so amazing. The Bible says this. Now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people were grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David, notice this next verb, strengthened himself in the Lord his what? Now you know what David does next? Anybody know what action David does next? He turns to his men and he says, give me a sword. Does he do that? He doesn't do that. You know what he says? Bring the ephod here. Now this is very interesting. You would think the most natural thing to do during this time would be grab your swords and head out after the bad guys. Instead, David says, wait just a second. Before I do this, I'm going to consult God. So he gets the ephod and you know what he does? And this is just so influential to his men who are ready to grab their swords and ready to go for a fight. He gets counsel from God. And you know what God tells him? God gives him the affirmation, go, pursue these individuals. And he tells them how to do it. And David gets to them. And they ran over 15 miles that night. 15 miles that night. They get there, drop off 200 of the men. And then they travel three more miles. They capture the Amalekites. And they wipe them out, and then the women and children are saved. Not just are the women and children saved, they gain all the spoil, and David actually uses the spoil to, as gifts to give to the elders of Judah, which then strengthened his leadership that would happen in the next few chapters. Why? Because David knew how to win battles. How did David know how to win battles? He sought counsel from God. Can you say amen to that? He sought counsel from God. Number two, number three, David knew how to worship. Can we say amen to that? David knew how to worship. What do you mean by that, Pastor Nell? Why would this be influential? Because people knew everywhere that David was connected to his God. In fact, how do you know this? Because when you actually read the story of David in the wilderness, the Bible tells us that one day he saw this well, a well he probably grew up close to. And he said, oh, that I could get a drink of water from that well. Notice what the Bible says. And David said with longing, oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So the three mighty men, in other words, his soldiers, broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, took it, brought it to David. Now notice what David does right here. Nevertheless, he would not drink it, but poured it out to the who? The Lord. And he said, far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. And you know what David does at that very moment? When there is a victory, when there is this moment of celebration, where it was very apparent God did something. They didn't just jump into the revels of the victory or the spoils of war. You know what they did? David says, wait a minute. No, 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 no. It's time to worship God. And he takes that very water and he pours it out before God as a drink offering. In fact, when you actually read other parts of David's life, you notice that he has this spontaneity when it comes to the worship of God. He's not just confined to certain set hours. 
He doesn't have these moments where he's like, okay, I think worship is going to start in about 15 minutes. Let's just get ready. For David, when the Spirit of God was upon him, when he recognized in his soul there was an obligation to worship, he got on on his knees and his men saw the love that he had for his God and they worshiped as well. In fact, I'm going to show you how powerful was the influence of his worship in just a little bit. But just think about this. Do you love worship? I mean, is it like you Sabbath morning when you could say with David and his friends, let us go, I was glad when we said, let us go into the house of God together. Do you love worship? You know, this is something initially I did not have. Now I love worship. I love going to church, even when the pastor is not going to be preaching a great sermon. Amen? Or I should say, even when you know the pastor ain't going to be preaching a good sermon, right? Even when you get to church and you see that the sermon is about tithes and offerings. But here's the thing, regardless of what's going on, David sought moments to worship God when his heart was just so in love with his creator that he would just say, let's stop what we're doing and let's praise God. You know, this summer, I had our Teen Bible Academy program. I had two days off. Then I did camp meeting two days off, went to a mission trip in Guatemala. And during this whole summer, it was so crazy, so intense. We got some of the Teen Bible Academy kids here. There were times that we were worshiping on top of mountaintops and the glory of God was revealed. And my heart during that moment just felt so close to the heart of God. And we'd be singing up there with the guitar, talking about the glory of God. And then there was moments in Guatemala when we're in these like villages where there's not a single Seventh-day Adventist dealing with demon-possessed people, praying for them. And we would see God bring about gate deliverance. And even though the glory of God in nature was not there, and even though there weren't lots of people and just a handful of people, we recognize it is still time to worship God. Amen? On top of the mountain or in the valley, inspirational leaders know how to worship. And when the Spirit of God comes upon him, no circumstance, no place, no timing stands in the way of bringing glory to God. Can you say amen to that? And that's the kind of person David was. Let's continue with this. Waited. Wait, what, what in the world is that all about, right? You know what's so powerful about this? It's because when David was in the wilderness and there were prime opportunities for David to take the throne, he chose to wait. He chose to wait. There were moments when Saul was, you know, in the cave. His men were sleeping outside and, David, and Saul was just taking a nap. And David snuck down with his buddies. And many of his friends even thought, told him, hey, you know, this is the time to strike him. This is the time to take the kingdom. This is the time to step in and become what God has promised to you. But David waited upon God. So much so that when the very man who claimed to have killed Saul on the battlefield, came to him, David slew him. And that's very interesting because Saul was his mortal enemy. Saul was more of an enemy than even the Philistines were. But David waited for God. He would not step into places he was not invited to until God would move. And that's the kind of leadership where a person is willing to sacrifice 
and willing to, to let go of the incentives and the benefits, knowing it would just be an easy thing, a compromise of integrity, just this little bit of, of compromising that you could step into a better position. You'd rather wait and hold out even though it's a pain to you. Why? Because of the God you serve. David knew it was God who called him, and David understood it would be God who would bring him into that very place. And this had an influence upon him. I mean, this is so powerful when people see that... They, I mean, I, you know the thing that's been hitting me more and more? Is this. It's this. Many times when I was pastoring a church, I'm not pastoring a church, I would have church members that would come to me and they would say, Pastor Anel, we just, we love the sermons, we love the church, we want to join the church. I'm like, praise the Lord. And they would start telling me their resume. They would say, you know, we grew up Seventh-day Adventists. I'm like, praise the Lord. They said, uh, we actually have put our children in the academy. Praise the Lord. We want our kids in Pathfinders. Amen. <laughs> Time to do some <laughs> repair there. <laughs> They're the type of people that would say, you know what? We're even related to James White. I'm like, praise the Lord. But you know what would happen? When I would say to them, how would you like to be involved in your local church? You know what they say? Pastor, we're too busy. And I'm like, what in the world? I think you're in the wrong church. The thing that's been hitting me more and more is that there are individuals where there used to be a time and place, not individual, time and place where people, let's say after they graduated from college, uh, they would not just look for a place that would be... Um, you know, um, a greater incentive because of career, or they would go to a place simply because, you know what, there's just, it's just more favorable to the circumstances of life. But they would move to a place where the gospel needed to be preached. They would move to a place where church was coming up. They would move to a place where there was sacrifice needed, and they would not get all the things they would get if they had just moved to that other metropolitan area. Friends, this is what the world needs. People are willing to sacrifice and wait for God's timing. People are willing to give all. It doesn't mean that you stop, you know, drinking the water. You've got to be like Gideon's men, right? You drink the water from the well, but then you keep your eyes still on the prize. Amen? This is what God is looking for. And this is what David was willing to wait for. By the way, you know what's interesting? Joseph, when he was a slave for Potiphar's house, do you think he wanted to go home? Yes or no? Yes or no? Do you think he liked being a slave? Of course not, right? It's like, maybe. No, he didn't want to be a slave, right? How about when David, excuse me, Joseph was a prisoner, do you think he wanted to be a prisoner? Like how many people you know will say, I'd love to be in prison for several years, right? Of course not. But here's the thing. When he was a slave and when he was a prisoner, he could not see his family. But when he became second of all of Egypt, he could have easily sent out a messenger to his family, but he did not. Are you tracking with me? Because Joseph finally came to the conclusion that God would bring things full circle his way in his time. And did God bring it about? Absolutely. But when Joseph was in second of all of Egypt, he could have at any moment, he could have just said, wait, I'm going to send out a messenger. I'm going to send out a chariot. I'm just going to um, take some time away from this, which he could have done all those things. And he could have found out where his family is and say, look, I'm here. But he began to recognize that when God was doing something great and God had placed him in that circumstance, he would not move from that place until God said otherwise. 
He understood the waiting. And let me tell you something. God can do more for you in your waiting than you could do for you in your doing. Amen? And so we need to trust what God does in that area of our life. And that's the kind of person David was. And little did David understand that his trials that he was experiencing in the wilderness, the leadership lessons he was learning, was prepping him to be the greatest king of a historic Israel. Now let's continue this last part. Welcomed. This is the part that's just been mind-blowing to me. Mind-blowing. And you may like this part. But this is the part that I realize about David's inspirational leadership that more and more I begin to realize this is amazing. I have never known this before. When David was in the wilderness, various people groups were coming to him. You can read about it in First Chronicles chapter 12. The Bible says when David was in the wilderness, uh, individuals, uh, people who were rogues or people who were uh, broke away from their tribe, individuals that were part of Saul's kingdom, they all left and they began to join themselves up to David. There were a people group who joined David, but not in the wilderness. They joined him when he spent some time in Philistia. What do you mean by that? There were a group of people who the Bible describes as Chelothites and Pethethites. It's kind of weird. You just hear these words and you just think it's maybe some kind of strange Hebrew designation or some kind of Jewish phrase. Those were not Jewish designations. These were not Jewish people. In fact, there was a group of individuals who joined themselves up to David, eventually became his bodyguard, the people who watched over him. What, what kind of people were they? I'll show you. Take your Bible and notice what it says in 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 17. They were so loyal to David that when David was being forced out of his kingdom by Absalom, a group of people joined him. Notice what the Bible says. So the king set out with all the people following him. They halted at the edge of the city. Notice this. All his men marched past him along with the Cherethites and the Pethelites and 600 Gittites who had accompanied him from what? Let me ask you a question. Who was from Gath? Goliath. This is crazy. I mean, I spent some time writing about this and talking to my archaeology professor about this. That David actually had a group of people who were, from, who were Philistines. They, this were, these were actually Philistines. They joined themselves up to David. They eventually became his bodyguard. And when David tried to send them away and say, look, go back, guard the kingdom, they said, we are loyal to you, and where the king goes, we're going to go. And David let them follow him. They stayed with him all the way to the very end of his reign and the very beginning of Solomon's reign. This group of people, when David talks to them, you can read the rest of the passage, he tries to send them away initially and he says, look, you were exiles from your country. Ellen White actually talks about this group of people and she says, they became converts to the one true God. Now, just this is so mind-blowing when you think about this. Wait a minute. He actually had a group of Philistines who were his bodyguard. You better believe it. It is so powerful, but when you actually begin to dwell on it, it makes a little bit more sense. Why? Because the one thing that these Philistine bodyguards could, that, that had in that dynamic of being in Israel is that they were not invited into Jewish politics. Does that make sense? So this is perfectly reasonable why David would bring this group of Philistines who were exiled from their land, who became converts to the one true God. 
individuals who became so loyal to David. This is so powerful because these are supposed to be the divine enemies of God. But they became some of the most loyal people to David when his own country turned against him during the insurrection. Let me ask you a question. What do you think is the lesson about inspirational leadership for us with this experience? Raise your hand. Same faithful God, yes. Be hospitable, right? Anybody else? Some of our worst enemies can become our friends. By the way, do you know what place they were from, right? Gath. Who else was from Gath? Goliath. He slew their champion, right? Yes. With God on our side, who can be against us? Yes? Who? You better believe it. Amen. Amen. In other words, sometimes we look at people who are Muslim, people who are Buddhist, people who are Hindu, and people who are Sikh, and we think to ourselves, oh, they're in religions that are very antithetical to the religion of the Bible. But here's the thing. There are people in those groups who are so loyal to the God that they understand. Amen? You want to know who who is probably one of the best number one witnessing guys I know. Like, no one is a better witnesser than this guy. He's a friend I have. We go to Taco Bell and it turns into a mission trip. <laughs> this guy passes out glow everywhere. And you, I, would actually, I would actually hire him during my evangelistic series. You know when? One week before my evangelistic series. Actually, I wouldn't hire him so much during my series or two months before my series. One week before... Because every time he would be dropped off in the city, the entire city within three or four days would know there's an evangelistic series happening. This guy is a former Muslim. This guy is so passionate and he is so loyal to the God of the Bible. I'm letting you guys know this and it's so super important for us to understand. Some of the greatest converts comes from people who are steeped in paganism. And David, during his time where people were betraying him, when his own son was turning against him, this group of foreigners said, David, we're going to follow you. So much so that he realized, they're going to be my bodyguard. Amen? This is what inspirational leadership looks like. It welcomes people in. And it grows them. It helps disciple them. Amen? And we can learn powerful lessons from the life of this man, David, during his wilderness time. Right? It is in the wilderness, sometimes through the trials and the dark periods of our life, that God is teaching us many leadership lessons, lessons about inspiration, uh, lessons that are uh, designed to draw people and give them hope during times of discouragement. This is what God wants to do. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we just thank you so much for these lessons. And Lord, thank you for the sphere of influence that you give to us. But God, we want to grow. Uh, we want to be influential for your cause and your glory. And Lord, I know there are leaders here of small groups, big groups, of family groups, of neighborhoods, of their employment. But God, give them the kind of leadership that you gave to David during the wilderness. Thank you again for being with us. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit 
www.audioverse.org.